Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I want to take you to something that I would like to uh, read this morning found in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to them. I always just grab my hard copy. I know we have electronic copies and that's great, but I like to mark them up. And we're going to John chapter 17 today. John chapter 17, and we're going to be going to Ephesians 1. So you can kind of have a finger in one of those texts. We're going to go to John 17 first, verse 15. Let me just give a quick context to this, because in this passage, I have a Bible, and it has red letters for everything that Jesus actually spoke. And this is filled with red letters. As a matter of fact, if I go back, I can go back to chapter 13. Chapter 13 is where it really all began. John the Revelator is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking to the audience and writing this down. And right after in chapter 13 where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, he, John decides to put in there a lot of the teachings of Jesus. Now, it's not that he had this mega teaching session. It's that John has included it in this portion of his text. It goes through the teachings of Jesus, and, and when you get to the end of 17 and turn into chapter 18, it's actually beginning the arrest of Jesus and his crucifixion. So chapter 17, as any good orator, you finish it off with a prayer. Jesus has been teaching, 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 teaching. Chapter 17, he's going to pray for them. He starts by talking to the Father and just praying regarding his own mission. But then he quickly switches, and the bulk of the prayer is prayer for the early church. It's prayer for uh, the people who were listening to him, but it's the prayer of all those that would read the prayer. And he begins to speak some very specific things, and I want to pick this up in verse 15, chapter 17, verse 15. Jesus says this. This is part of his prayer. He says, my prayer, praying to the Father, my prayer is not that you, Father, not that you take them out of the world. He's talking about his church. It's not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I want to draw attention to part of that text. Did you notice that it's based around the fundamental realization that we are in a spiritual battle? Did you see that part where it says, protect them from the evil one? We're in a world that is hostile to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking a world like the ball, the globe. I'm referring to the world system, the philosophy of this age. That is hostile. Because in sin, in our flesh, in our fallen state, in our fallen nature, is hostility toward God. And when Jesus is praying, he's saying, he's talking about, first of all, we're in a spiritual battle. We need to never forget every day of our life. We are engaged in a spiritual battle. Now, it already has been won. We know the end of the story because Jesus conquered the grave. He has conquered sin and the repercussions of sin, the curse of sin. But we, we play it out. This is the playing field that we continue to live in day in, day out. 
So Jesus is saying, protect them from the evil one. But note the part, he says, my prayer though is not to take them out. It's not to have an ejection system. It's not to rapture them out right now. My prayer is not escapism. Sometimes, you know, we want to go back and sing the songs, um, you know, in, in the great by and by, or we begin to even speak of, you know, what a wonderful place that would be and Lord, just take me. I just long to go. And there's nothing wrong with that. The apostle Paul grappled with that. He longed to be with the Lord, but he knew he had purpose here on earth until his last breath. And that is true for all of us. And so Jesus was saying, I'm not praying that they, I'm not just praying for heaven. He says, I'm praying, God, you protect them while they're here. And then here's the powerful truth. This is, this is the take home here. They are not us. He's referring to the believers. They are not of the world. Note the word of the world. Even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. That word sanctify means set apart. Set them apart by your truth. So God's truth has the ability to separate from the pack. Separate them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So there's a series. We're starting a new series. We've uh, finished the baseball series of uh, how to deal with the curveball that's been throwing us. We're in a new series, and, and this is brand new. I've, I've, I was reading this past week, and I came to this expression, and it just resonated in my heart. And so the, the new series is very simply, in but not of. In but not of. And that's the series. You see, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're in this world, you and I, because we're listening. We're here today. We're here May 3rd, 2020. We're in the world. But we're not of it. What does that mean? We're not of this world. I'm talking about the world system. I'm talking about the ideologies of this world. They don't define us. They don't label us. They don't determine my identity. I'm in this world, and that's what Jesus was saying. We're in this world. He's not praying that we have a quick ejection, but he is praying that in the midst of the battles every single day, that we would grasp the truth. And this truth is not instantly grasped. I believe it's somewhat a progressive revelation that we would continue to grow in the truth of God's word. The, the truth is this, although I'm in this world, I'm not of this world. Through Christ Jesus, he has transformed me. It's like the caterpillar transformation metamorphosis. The idea the cocoon was stuck to a plant or a tree. It was bound by its literal world, but it was transformed, metamorphed into a caterpillar or into a butterfly, the caterpillar into a butterfly. It took off from this gravity into a world that it had never known before. And through Christ Jesus, uh, although I'm in this world, I'm not of this world. I want to, I want to talk about this as a series and I'm going to be bringing Lord willing every week, a unique truth gem, because he says, here, he says, you are set apart by the truth, and the word of God brings the truth. So I want to bring, for the next maybe few weeks, a gem of truth in relation to that we are in, but not of. And so, you know, mark it down, write it someplace, stick it to, you know, your, your, your bathroom mirror uh, on a sticky, in, but not of. 
and reminding yourself that this world doesn't define me. Now, if you were in a culture that was very Christian-like, if we were in a society that really was adopting and still living by a lot of the Judeo-Christian principles, then you wouldn't see a whole lot of difference between our faith and the society around us. We're still a fallen people, but you wouldn't see a lot of difference. But I think you and I would agree today that more and more we are seeing a separation of that, that less and less. I mean, did you notice in these last six weeks that Christians are not essential service, right? God is not essential service. Now, that's a big problem because he is. So that is the world. That's the world system. But I'm not, I'm not of that. I'm in, but not of. The gem I want to share with you is found in Ephesians. And here's the take home today. And it's not going to be long. It's not going to be complicated. It's going to be straight at it. Ephesians chapter one. And this is a text, probably one of my, again, favorite texts. Ephesians was written by Paul. Most likely he was in prison in Rome. He was sending a letter back to the church of Ephesus. And in this church, there had been a school of ministry established they were probably one of the stronger communities of believers that had risen up out of this community of Ephesus. I, I, I have it in my mind, even as I'm talking to you this morning, Lori and I, a few years ago, visited Ephesus. And of course, it's changed a lot over the last 2,000 years. But it's a, it was a big city. It was a, a going concern. And Paul wrote this letter back to the believers of Ephesus. And he was he was talking about that he needed to, this was a part of his reminder. He kept asking God for this. And here it is, Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul was addressing a group of people, and I dare say there might have been a sprinkling of people who were eyewitnesses to Jesus. We're not clear about that, but there could have been. It's not impossible. Certainly Paul was. And he is talking to a, a first century, first generation believers. And the, they have been taught about Christ, the Son of God. They understood church history and why Jesus had to go to the cross to die, to surrender his life as the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Passover sacrifice, but that he rose again sent it to be with the right hand of the Father, and he is one day coming again. Now, they knew that. That's been a part of their ongoing teaching. And that first century church understood. They understood the power of Christ. 
I mean, they were the first century church. They knew the stories. They probably talked with people, many of them. At Jesus had a way of where Jesus was, there was life. Jesus had a way of turning death back into life. And that's the gem I want to leave. The gem I want to leave is this. Jesus does not give up on the dead. So let's not us. <laughs> Jesus doesn't give up on the dead. So when Jesus walked on this earth, I mean, Jesus uh, interrupted a funeral procession and there was a young boy that had died and they were wailing and weeping as they were proceeding out of the city and Jesus came upon it. It appeared like he came upon it by accident, but we know with Christ, nothing is accidental. And, and his heart was grieved. And he raised the boy from the dead. Long, he just raised the boy from the dead. I mean, that was pretty traumatic. Death cannot stand in the presence of Jesus. And you see that not only physical death, we know the story of Lazarus is another story of where Lazarus had died, a good friend of Jesus, and he raised him from the dead. But Jesus did other things. He, he gave hope. I think of, of the woman caught in adultery. And for all intents and purposes, that day her life ended. She was, uh, she could have been stoned for what she did, but Jesus gave her hope from death to life. I think of Jesus going across on the Galilean river, or Galilean uh, lake, and he goes to Gennesaret, and a man who basically his life was lost because of demons, legions of demons, and Jesus gave him back his life. Others had given him up for dead. I mean, he actually lived in a cemetery. Uh, there's so many stories. Jesus, the woman at the well, uh, the leper who came to Jesus, and for all intents and purposes, he was on his, excuse the pun, his last legs, but Jesus gave him life again. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't give up on the dead. So let's not us. I think that's a gem, isn't it? Uh, the gem comes from this text here where the text talks about that you may know his incomparably great power. In other words, Paul was saying, listen, you can try to understand his power, but you won't because there's nothing here in this world. Remember, we're in but not of. There's nothing in this world that we can compare it to. We, we can't compare it to the king. We can't compare it to the emperor. We can't compare it to Pharaoh. We can't compare it to, uh, you know, the great military and the mighty armies. We can't compare it to a, a great beast of the field. There's nothing in this world you can compare it to. And then Paul says, the only thing I can think of is the power to raise someone from the dead. I mean, I still hear it today. Every year I hear somebody who is, you know, a confessing Christian says, you know, I'll, or somebody maybe who isn't. They are, they're, they're back and forth in their faith. And they're saying, if I could just see someone raised from the dead, I'd believe. Well, according to church history, no, you wouldn't. I mean, that didn't happen in Jesus' day. Many miracles took place, but majority didn't believe. And we can go back to probably the most miracle moment time in history at the time of the Exodus, the children of Israel leaving, the 10 great miracles that took place, you know, the, uh, the frogs and the grasshoppers and the water turned into blood and all that. I mean, these were crazy out-of-this-world miracles, and yet they were a time of people filled with unbelief. No, miracles don't give us our belief. Faith gives us our belief. Yeah, there's lots of evidence around, but we can place our faith in a sure foundation in Christ Jesus. And 
the incomparable power was related to Christ raised from the dead. And that's pretty powerful. And that same power is the same power at work. What Paul was saying, same power at work in the city of Ephesus. Paul was saying, listen, you got to believe that the God who raised Christ from the dead is the same God who raises death in our world. Again, I'm not talking about the cemeteries. I'm not talking about the people who've literally physically died. That's not the point. That's not what's being referred to here. The point here is the things, the hopes, the dreams, the aspirations that have fallen from yours and my heart. They've died. And if Jesus hasn't given up on it, let's not us give up on it. I mean, we read some of the scriptures, John chapter 5, verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son, no, ongoing, present tense verb, gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Now, did you know how that was equated? Go back. As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, the Son gives life to those. He's not talking about raising people from the dead. We know there's a day of the resurrection. We get that, but that's not what's being spoken of. He's talking about he raises to life the things that have dropped from our hearts. He raises it back. He clearly claims to have authority over death. John chapter 11. Here's another one. Verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, present tense, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> There's the question. Let me go back to that. Let's not lose that. Can we go put that back up again? I am the resurrection. I am, not past. You see, we don't have a problem believing in uh, raising from the dead 2,000 years ago. We don't have a problem with the things of 2,000 years ago. But we struggle with him raising it today. I today am your resurrection. I still am. And he says, if you believe in me, you'll live and not die. Well, he's not meaning that you will never go to the grave. He's saying that if you believe on him, life will go to where there presently is death. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. The world would say that's the end. But Jesus has a different verdict on it. I, isn't that a gem? Uh, he's not simply, again, speaking of the resurrection of the dead. He says everything that has died or have fallen. And I'm going to suggest there are many watching here today. You have a graveyard of those that you once held, but have fallen from your heart. Dreams. Maybe it's maybe mom and dad, it's your son or your daughter. Maybe grandma and grandpa, it's your grandson or your granddaughter. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife, your boss. Maybe it's a prodigal who has wandered away. Maybe it's somebody who's lost and do addictions. Maybe somebody has given up on this life and they, you just pray they're still alive, but they're under an overpass somewhere today. Maybe it's your own health and there's things going on and you've just kind of given up. What's the point? Things have died. We have graveyards and we have, we've buried those things and we've maybe even marked the tomb. Gone once lived. But I want to come back to this. Jesus doesn't give up in the dead, don't you? 
Don't you give up on the things that have maybe fallen from your heart, the things that you've stopped praying for, the things that you've stopped going into that closet to believe God for, the things that you've stopped. Just, God, can you really raise this back up? I mean, we go back to the beginning of God raising a nation after himself, which was Abraham and Sarah, and God strategically waited way beyond the childbearing years to give them a child. Had they given up? Oh, yeah. I imagine probably at that time, Sarah didn't even want to think of the possibilities. She not only had a child, but she had a healthy child. I think of Jesus and Lazarus, the story of Lazarus, where he raised Lazarus up from the grave. Jesus could have gotten there before he died, but he waited until true death had set in. And then he raised him. The hopes, the dreams, the aspirations. Our sons, our daughters, our teenagers, I'm sure there are those. We, last week, if you tuned in, you would have heard uh, Jennifer share from Teen Challenge. I never tire of hearing the stories of women or men in addiction centers who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And they probably had given up. Many of them had given up on their own lives and loved ones had given up on them. But but when you surrender your life to Jesus, again, Jesus didn't give up on you. Don't you give up on you. The incomparably great power that raised Jesus from the dead is still at work today, May 3rd, 2020. He continues to raise from the dead. Can I go back to that text now? I'm going to go back to Ephesians 1. Let's reread it. We've been asking God to give us the eyes and of wisdom and revelation. So let's read it. Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Oh God, bring back the hope. To which he has called you. That's our calling. The riches of his glorious inheritance. I'm part of his inheritance. So are you. In his holy people. Verse 19. And his incomparably, this world will not compare. We're in, but we're not of. Incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And then he talks not only in this present age, but in the age to come. If Jesus hasn't given up on you, don't you? Can we just in our hearts say, yeah, God, bring it back to life. There is a story I want to close with a story. And the story is told, apparently it's a true story, and you may have heard the story. Such a great story. I never tire of this. There was a woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. She was given no more than three months to live. And so she was getting her things in order. She called the pastor, asked if he would come to her house to discuss the different aspects of her funeral wishes. She told him the songs she wanted sung at the funeral, the scriptures she would like read, even what outfit she wanted to be buried in. The woman also requested, Pastor, would you ensure that I'm buried with my favorite Bible? She showed him the Bible. Everything was in order. Pastor was prepared to leave when the woman suddenly remembered she'd forgotten to tell him something. And she said, Pastor, one more thing. And then very excitedly, she pastor knew she had something to share. And so uh, the pastor asked, well, what did we miss? And she said, oh, this is, this is too important. And she 
she brought the pastor a, do you see that? She brought the pastor a fork. And she said, Pastor, I want you to, I want you to take this fork. And I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And the pastor had an absolute puzzled look on his face. And she says, that surprises you, doesn't it? He said, I have to admit, I've never been asked that before. Well, she said, you know, pastor, in all my years attending church socials, potluck dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. She said, that was always my favorite because I knew that something better was about to come like a velvety chocolate cake or a deep dish apple pie with ice cream, something wonderful and with substance. So pastor, I just want people to see when I'm in that casket, I want them to see that fork in my hand and I want them to wonder what's that fork all about. And when they begin to ask pastor, make sure you tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. I really like that story because it's not just that in the glory land, the best is yet to come. And although that is true, I want to suggest that Jesus is about to raise to life that which has died from your heart. The best in what you're about to see is still out there. So if Jesus hasn't given up on it, don't you give up on it. There's a song. And we're going to sing this. I'm going to invite you to sing this song. I'm going to read the words of this song because uh, Lauren Daigle sings this. Uh, and uh, she has such an amazing voice, such power in her voice. And when I first heard this song, it captured my heart that I knew that this was going to rise to be one of, one of my life songs. And the song goes like this. It's called uh, Come Alive or it's called Dry Bones. You may or may not know it, but I'm going to read the words so you know it. We're going to put it up on the screen here for you to see it. Through the eyes of man, it seems there's so much we have lost. As we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked, and one by one the enemy has whispered lies and led them off as slaves. But we know that you are God, yours is the victory. We know there is more to come that we may not yet see. So with the faith you've given us, we step into the valley unafraid. We call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. We call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. Up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. We call out to dry bones, come alive. Verse 3, it says, God of endless mercy, God of unrelenting love, rescue every daughter, bring us back the wayward sons. And by your spirit, breathe upon them, show the world that you alone can save. You alone can save. And it goes back to the course, we call it dry bones. And then it comes to a part in that song and it's the bridge and it goes like this. It's, it's just a, it's a cry. Breathe, O breath of God. Now, breathe, O breath of God. Breathe, O breath of God. Now breathe. You know, this song comes from Ezekiel chapter 37. The prophet had a vision, and God took him to a valley of dry bones. It was a valley that at one time a great battle had been fought, and years had passed, and there was nothing but the skeletal remains of the army. And God told Ezekiel in the vision, 
Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy. I want you to speak to those bones. Arise. Get up. And so Ezekiel, I mean, that's really strange. I mean, that's downright weird. But Ezekiel did. And he told them to arise according to the word of God. And in the vision, the bones all got up and began to stand in rank to army, just a pile of bones. And, and then skin began to come upon them. And it was just a pretty, pretty amazing thing. And then God gave him a second mandate. He says, now, Ezekiel, I want, I want you to breathe. Breathe the breath of God. Breathe that life would come back into them. It reminds you of, of Genesis chapter 2, when God bent low and breathed into Adam life. And I want to suggest that's exactly, it wasn't simply meant to be a part of a historical lesson for us to go back to in Ezekiel 37. It's a picture, it's a spiritual picture that Jesus is still in the business of raising back the things that have died. So Father, that's exactly what we're calling out to today. Lord, we're just grabbing a hold of, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. This world does not put parameters on us. It does not define us. It does not label us and put us into a category. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And God, I pray for the things that maybe have died from our heart, that Lord, today, resurrect them, we pray. Resurrect our faith, that God, we put our faith and our trust in you and you alone. Loved ones, our work, our health, the situations, whatever it is, oh God, that Lord, if it has not died from your heart, it will not die from our heart this day. Thank you for that gem of truth from your word. May it transform our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, if that's your prayer, just go ahead and say amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.